Welcome to the March 15th Lincoln Square Presbyterian uh, Worship. We are gathered here virtually so that we can worship together as God's people. And we gather, even though we're not in the same location, uh, with the conviction and the trust that God says that he is the one who calls us. And it's by his spirit that we're united to God and to one another. And so we're going to have a, an abbreviated worship service uh, following our normal order of worship. And uh, Jody, our director of worship, will be helping and also Anijah, one of our elders. My name is Chad Lewis, a pastor at Lincoln Square, and we'll lead this service together um, and invite you to participate. A couple of announcements before we uh, begin. One is that we won't have a public gathering of worship uh, through the end of March, and we'll reevaluate that at that time. And also, if you are interested in supporting the Friendship Center, our local food pantry, uh, that would be a great time to do this. Also, they need volunteers on March 26th, so if you're interested, let the church office know. And also a note that if you are in need, the Friendship Center is a great uh, resource, but also reach out to the church and the deacon fund. But we gather in God's presence by his spirit to worship, and as we get ready to do that, let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God. sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. of the earth. The heights of the mountains are, all, are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker.
We're going to pray together. I'll lead us in our prayer of invocation. But after that time of my leading, I'll take a time of quiet to offer your own personal prayers to bring your needs or concerns to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that is faithful and that calls us into your presence. We're especially mindful as we consider our circumstances and the things happening in our life or in this world. We're mindful of uh, the words from Psalm 46 that tell us about when things that seem so certain, such as mountains or the earth or the sea, they shake, they rattle, they fall. That even as those things give way, Lord, you are a refuge and ever-present help. And so, Lord, we are mindful of that and confess that as we come. But especially we're mindful of those who are sick. We pray, Lord, for your comfort and peace and healing. We pray for those of us who are experiencing anxiety and uncertainties, especially regarding relationships or lost wages, lost opportunities. We pray, Lord, for our leaders in our community, in our country, in our world. We thank you for their work, and we pray that you would guide them as they lead. We give you thanks for our medical professionals. We ask that you would strengthen them. And Lord, we pray for all of us that you would grant us wisdom and courage and hope in Christ, that we may see one another as brothers and sisters and as neighbors to love and to serve. I invite you now to take a moment to bring your own needs or your own concerns or confession to God. Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The Old Testament lesson is Exodus 17, 1-7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rapidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us <clears throat> up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? The gospel lesson is John 9, uh, verses 1 through 17. 
As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man, it was not this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of, of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the, the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly, who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how he received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to look at God's Word. I'm thankful for a chance to share this with you. We're going to look at a passage from Romans chapter 6, verse 20 through 23. Uh, but before I read that, just a reminder that during the season of Lent, we have been looking at passages that remind us that the spiritual life flows from God acting on our behalf, from God's movement towards us, not ours, to God. And words such as this are important all the time, but especially when we feel the weight of our sin or feel the uncertainties of our own strength or the world around us. In the New Testament letter of James, we read, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? Why do you say that? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And the letter of James is inviting us to feel our fragility, to feel the uncertainties of our life or the future. And we can feel that reality in the present time. And so we need to be reminded of God's actions for us. And so during the season of Lent, we've been looking at passages that in particular have a phrase of but now or but God, and that was a way to mark the transition from one state of being to another. 
that the revolutionary work of Jesus, the one who has died and risen, brings a new reality to the believer's life. And we'll look at that passage, a transitional passage again today from Romans 6, which we'll hear, you were slaves to sin, but now, but now you have been set free from sin. That the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. So let me read to you from Romans 6, verse 20 through 23. You can follow along in your Bible or just listen. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us by your spirit to receive it, to be responsive to it, that it may open our eyes to see ourselves and you better, to see our neighbors in this world better and that we would respond in faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we go through our passage in the sermon, there's three truths that I want us to see. And the first truth is that all of us are slaves to someone or something. All of us are slaves to someone or something. Now, obviously the word slave is a serious word, and we want to be careful about that and be clear that our passage is not speaking positively about slavery. Rather, it's using this imagery of slavery to help us understand ourselves, our hearts, and the relationship to the world. In the Roman culture, most slaves were those captured in war or bought in the marketplace, but there was such a thing as a voluntary slavery. People in poverty or in debt or in difficult situation could give themselves or offer themselves as slaves to someone in order to be fed or to be housed or to have a, a different situation. We might think of something similar to an indentured servant. One gives his freedom as he seeks to find a better situation, seeks a better possibility. And that's what this idea of our passage is pointing to, that we give ourselves, we surrender ourselves to something, to someone And in doing so, we are seeking or asking what would bring life to us. Who are we to be? Who do we want to be? Who or what benefits us? We may surrender in the pursuit of happiness or respect or pleasure, being good, not failing. But who can offer what we desire? Maybe a better situation. And this is part of the human condition, is that we want to form ourselves as far as forming ourselves, we surrender or we give ourselves to someone or something, an example that we can imitate or will offer us something that we desire. Our passage is inviting us to reflect on what that looks like in our life. Who or what do we give ourselves to? As we keep thinking about this, Scripture invites us to this idea of boasting, to boast. Be human is to boast, meaning to place our confidence in something. 
It also carries this idea that as you do so, that you're hoping or expecting an applause or crowds to cheer you on. That, hey, look, look, look at this, what this person has or look what they've done. This person is going in the right direction. And interestingly, the scriptures tell us that in life, there is no setting aside boasting. We, we all boast, even if we say we won't, there's, we can't stop ourselves. We all place our confidence in someone or something. And so scripture says that the way to life is not that you stop boasting, but that you boast in the right person, in the right thing, something worthy of your life. And so our passage is inviting us to think about these concepts that we are all slaves to someone or something. That, but some slavery, some boasting, some giving of ourselves brings death, and some brings life. See, there's different boasting, which brings different consequences. Different giving of ourselves that brings different benefits. And Paul is referencing this reality when he writes, When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. That might strike us as an odd way of writing this. And what he's getting at is when you were giving yourself to sin, something other than God, you were giving yourself to your own desires. And you were free of righteousness, meaning that you were free of God and worrying about God's ways. That you did what you thought was best, that what you wanted, what was before you. He's asking, what does that freedom bring? What did that freedom bring about for you? A little while back, I saw a story coming out of Dallas. That someone in Dallas, a neighborhood, had purchased a home and they planned to demolish the home in order to build a new one. We see this happen all the time in our Chicago neighborhoods. And so the day came about that the demolition crew came to take down the old house to prepare the way for the new one. They arrived, and it didn't take them long to knock down the house and make it just a pile of rubble. But suddenly, there was confusion, and there was a question amongst the crew. And after rechecking the paperwork, the demolition crew came to a jarring conclusion. They had knocked down the wrong house. They had knocked down the wrong home. Now, can you imagine... The crew chief's, you know, reaction to this, or can you imagine coming home and finding that your house, which was there when you left, is no longer there, just a pile of rubble. We could ask, how could this happen, right? They thought that they were taking the right steps, the right action. They thought that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, going about it the right way. But they were left to explain a pile of rubble. And I offer that because it's a picture of what Paul is describing and our slavery to something other than God, our slavery to sin, he says, look, we thought we were free. I'm free. I can do what I want. I can do what I think is best. I can make things put together how I best want. This is the way I should go, right? I should seek my pleasure. I should gather money. I should build status. Isn't this the way that I will be happy or, or bring about a full life? But he asks, what has come of that? What has come of seeking that path or boasting in those things? A pile of debris. And here he describes that debris as shame. Literally, the word meaning to blush when you remember what you did. Or to blush when others might see it. It's brought about a pile of debris. It's brought about death, even. You see, sin offers freedom, but it ultimately offers it falsely. 
This path is degrading. It enslaves us to a master that is not good and does not liberate or restore us in any way. We can think about the ruthlessness of some masters in this imagery. The ruthlessness of boasting or giving ourselves the things that do not care for us. That sin, how it twists, even how we think about our resources and our schedules, how it twists, how we approach our relationships, twists our vision of ourselves and others. C.S. Lewis, when he was talking about pride, writes this, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer, more clever, or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, they would no longer be proud. That's an example of how things that can be good are twisted by sin, by seeking a, a goal. We can think about the same thing around the idea of control when we want to control the outcome of things, something that many of us might be feeling currently. That we have to be careful. We can see how the desire to control can twist. And suddenly, instead of people being those that we welcome or receive or get to know, they become messes that we have to control or threats or things that disrupt our plans. Our resources become not something that we can bless others with, but things that we can use to control a sense of security. Here's the point of the first thing, that all of us, all humans give ourselves to something. And all of us are, in fact, slaves to sin. In fact, there are two slaveries, to God and to sin. To God and to what is not God. Slavery to that which, to that which is not God always leads to separation and to death, to a house collapsing and a pile of debris. The first point is that we all give ourselves to something. The second truth that I want us to see from Romans 6 is that while we were slaves in sin, God has acted in Jesus to free us. I mentioned in our introduction that this passage is a transitional passage where there is a beginning and an end of this thing that God has changed because of what he's done. And our passage describes this action of God as a free gift. You were slaves to sin, but now, but now you have been set free to become slaves to God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here is the good news. But now God has set you free from sin, from boasting of something that would destroy you. Freedom here is not meaning that we're perfect or that we somehow have stopped sinning. Rather, freedom here is a new orientation of life. We still sin, we still experience our brokenness, but in Christ we have been transferred. We no longer belong to our sin, belong to our worst things, but that we belong to God. The all in Christ have been decisively rescued out of a lordship to sin and death into a lordship of grace and of God's love and faithfulness. We can be bound to that which is not God or bound to God. And this change came about as a free gift in Christ Jesus. You see, sin is described as a wage. In slavery to sin, we receive what we deserve. 
separation and death. The penalty is merited. But God gives us a free gift. It's something that we do not deserve. And this free gift is crucial to understand the spiritual life. Because sin runs very deep and it's extensive in our hearts. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's only by God acting for us that a new beginning can start. That we can come even today in confession and repentance and find a new start in His grace. That we can start and have a new identity because of God's actions to release us from our former bondage. And I want to reflect for a moment on this gift, this action of God. That God's action, His gracious action for us. Again, especially in our circumstances where I know a number of us are feeling concerned or fearful. And as I mentioned in our prayer of invocation, the Psalm 46 invites us to think about these things that seem so certain. The earth, the mountain, the sea. And gives an imagery of what it would be like for the earth to give way, the mountains to fall, the waters to quake and to roar. And in the midst of that imagery, Psalm 46 tells us as we feel the fear and uncertainty it invites us to affirm that our God is a refuge an ever-present help and therefore we do not have to be afraid this is what the free gift is offering to us even today but now God has acted in our old way our old freedom in slavery to sin it meant that we were left by ourselves to find our own way, left by ourselves to make life work. But now God has offered us a gift in his love. But now, that which seems secure, that when it's shaking, we can still say that God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help. But now, as we hear this, we can know that God's actions have created us in union with him, that this union is a promise of God, and therefore it cannot be shaken by anything that we have an opportunity to lean into this union, this refuge that God offers us. But now the union endures even in the face of our own sin or even in the face of our uncertainties. And not only does this free gift speak to our union with God, the free gift speaks to our union with one another. But now we are not alone. But now that by the Spirit we are bound together as the people of God. Joining one another as followers of Jesus. Bound together by God and what he has done for us. And so it's a chance for us, even as we are not gathering publicly for worship, to think again, what is the church? The church is not just gathering in a location. Well, that's important. And we long to be back to doing that. The church is the body of Christ. Those from all different experiences, different backgrounds, who have been brought together in Christ to become part of the same body. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God. Not because of what we have done or will do, or because of who our parents are, or because of certain backgrounds, but because of God's action for us. And it's out of that reality of what the church is, that we can ask now in this moment, how can we creatively love and serve one another? How can we encourage and pray for one another? How can we be Christ to each other through a phone call or through a text, through a walk in the park, being wise about what is appropriate, but seeking to offer and acknowledge each other as brothers and sisters or to see our, those around us as neighbors 
to love. Well, we, are all, we all give ourselves to something, and God has acted to free us. And the third and final thing I want us to look at this morning is that through God's free gift, we can now give ourselves to God. Through this gift, we can now give ourselves to God. The scriptures, both in Paul's letters and in Jesus himself, describes the Christian life as taking on the yoke uh, with Jesus. We don't see yokes too often in urban settings or in Chicago. A yoke is this piece of wood, right, that connects two animals that they can work together, they can move together. It's a harness, a collar for coupling. And it's an image that the scripture uses to talk about the spiritual life. That we all have to take on a yoke of some kind. We yoke ourselves to something, like we give ourselves or we boast in something. And it's in that reality that we surrender that Jesus offers us this image. Come to me, you who are weary. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Walk with me. Be coupled to me. Give yourself to me. And we're reminded that slavery is not an altogether accurate imagery of the Christian life. Of course, Paul is using this image to stress our obedience, our giving ourselves, our belonging to this person. But it fails to communicate the gentleness of Jesus' yoke and of his care. We're united to one who is gentle in spirit, a faithful lover of sinners, and who our yoking to him actually brings liberty. It ennobles us. It brings life to us. And how different that is from all the other terrible yokes that would mistreat us or use us or lead us to mistreat others. See, when we are yoked to Christ, he promises that will lead us into sanctification, a renewal that we look more and more like Christ. And ultimately, not just in that in our life, but eternal life with God. As we hear these words, as we gather as those seeking to be united to Christ and to walk in that. I want us to close by reminding you that the Spirit's job is to stir our hearts and to ask us questions as we seek not to live by the sensibilities of the world, but to walk in the new ways of Jesus. The Spirit can ask us questions of, do you not know? Do you, re- do you remember? Do you remember that you've been baptized in Christ? Do you remember that you've been united to Christ in his death and resurrection? Do you remember that you are now enslaved to God and have committed yourself to his ways? And that brings the life that you long for. Do you remember, do you know, that in the face of our sin, God has acted for you in his great love? The Spirit moves in our hearts to ask these things, and by the Spirit we can respond, yes, I remember in the face of my fears, in the face of these uncertainties, in the face of even my sin, we can confess that in Christ I am a new person, united to my fellow believers as brothers and sisters. Let us boast, let us boast in Christ. Jeremiah 9 says, Let the wise man boast not in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Amen. Let us not boast in our strength, but in the strength of Christ for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, and thank you for your word that speaks to us. We pray that you'd help us to hear it. 
and walk not according to the world around us, but by in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a way of response, let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all Receive now God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always.